here we go. The Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. Excited you're here today. Thrilled you're listening. Today is Sunday. I feel like I have recorded a few podcasts over the last few days. I haven't had the chance to edit them, so I assure you I've got... I had a great conversation with Seisha O'Connor. That should hopefully go live this coming week. Uh, And it feels like a lot just keeps happening so quickly and life moves so fast that... um, Unfortunately, I don't have the time to always edit these podcasts right away, but I assure you some more episodes are coming to you. Today is Sunday. I am thrilled that you're here, and I've got a lot that I am going to try and unspool here over the next probably 30 to 40 minutes. Of course, as soon as I hit record, the uh, neighbor's dog down the street starts barking, so that's always a good sign. You know, I'm going to talk a little bit about life, death, creativity. I know when I bring up the word COVID, that instantly sort of creates a reaction from you. Like, oh no, <laughs> potentially. But I, you know, I think we live in this world where it's really hard for people to admit that they don't know something. We have to live in a world where you, you need to have the answer, especially publicly. publicly. If you're a public figure, If you're a podcast host, if you're Joe Rogan, Sam Harris, you need to appear like you know what you're talking about. Specifically, I think more so Sam Harris. He sort of oozes this intellectual persona. And if you are an intellectual, you certainly have to look like you know what you're talking about. So I'm going to try and unravel that. And then I'm also going to talk about the psychological impact I had from something I posted on Facebook. And I will end the show by playing a new remix of my brand new song, Animals, that just came out a few days ago. I released a music video on YouTube, so find me on YouTube at Eddie Cohn. Uh, So a lot going on. But I'm going to start the show today by talking about um, a bike ride that I took yesterday. And then I went to a... um, my niece's sports event, a basketball event down in Orange County. So do you ever wonder if you came close to dying? Or do you ever think, gosh, like if I went left instead of right, not politically speaking here, but, you know, made a left turn, made a right turn, if things didn't go your way, your life could be exponentially different or changed. So I go on these bike rides every weekend, and I know potentially it's not a smart idea to be riding your bike in LA, but I do my best to stay in a bike lane or go to places where, like Bologna Creek here, where there are no cars allowed. But I'm I'm a very cautious bike rider. Um, I certainly love to go fast in certain spots, but I'm also constantly paying attention, making sure that I'm not going to get hit by a car. And there's a space down San Vicente in Santa Monica, this great stretch of, of road where you can ride your bike. There's a bike lane, but there's also cars to go pretty fast through Brentwood and then Santa Monica. And I am just perplexed, flummoxed at, at how I will see a couple bike riders riding side by side talking to each other while they're riding their bikes. One of them is sort of on the left side of the bike lane. 
another person's on the right side, and they're just talking, and they'll make they'll sort of go out into the street sometimes if there's like another bike rider or a car parked. They don't even look behind them, and they just assume that the car sees them and knows what they're doing is just going to avoid them. I also see joggers who are jogging with headphones on in the bike lane going the same direction of the car, so they're not running against traffic, they're running with traffic in the street, I guess just assuming that the cars just know to avoid them. So am I being too cautious? Am I being smart? Are they being idiots? I bring all this up because I'm just, I'm amazed at how willing people are to sort of assume that other people are paying attention and are empathetic and care about what you're doing. Because I can't tell you how many times I ride my bike and I see people looking down on their phone, not paying attention, almost hitting me. And then I look ahead of me at other people riding their bike and it's like they just don't even think about it. And so maybe I think too much about it. Uh, or maybe I should just sort of assume and think the best. And that, you know, all these car drivers that are driving down the road are fully aware of their surroundings. I just, I find it really interesting how, you know, two people can ride down San Vicente and have a completely different experience. And I, and I ask you, you know, and, and, sometimes I, and sometimes I think to myself on these bike trips or, you know, sometimes if something feels a little hairy, you know, that, that voice that you get in your head that tells you that maybe something doesn't feel right. Um, do you ever have those moments? Do you ever feel like, gosh, I came really close to possibly dying there? If things didn't spin a particular way, um, I might not be here. I, I also remember two weeks ago riding my bike and a woman is making a left turn in her SUV, uh, just bitten, just misses hitting me, cuts my girlfriend off, and I yell out to her something like, you know, you got to look where you're going, watch out, or what the hell are you doing? And then out of nowhere, this crazy guy is walking across the street and starts swearing at me, throwing the F-bomb around, throwing it around at my girlfriend, and there's that moment where I look at him and I could tell if I would have responded and said, you know, fuck off or, you know, who the fuck do you think you are? And he's just, he looks insane. There's that voice in my head where the ego is getting involved, telling me that, you know, stand up for yourself. Tell him to fuck off. He doesn't know that this woman almost hit me uh, in her SUV, wasn't paying attention. And a lot of the reasons why I'll speak up when I'm riding my bike is A, I want to get their attention, but B, I want them to know that if they don't pay attention, they're going to kill somebody. It might not be me in that situation, but if they continue to drive like that, they're going to hit somebody. So this guy that is yelling at me and walking towards me. No idea, I, no idea who he is, although I, I get the sense he's homeless because I saw him yesterday at the same spot in Westwood with all of his bags at a coffee shop. So potentially he's homeless. But there's that, that moment where the ego's taking over, telling me to respond, 
But then, you know, I drive away, don't say anything. And, and my girlfriend also is saying to me, you know, it's, it's good that you didn't say anything. Because it gets to the point where, is it worth it? And, and again, I ask you, and this sort of goes back to sort of the, my original, one of my points I brought up in the intro. We live in a world now where everybody wants to get in the last word. Everybody wants to be right. The barriers are blurred. The lines are blurred because it feels like anybody can sort of jump into anybody else's shit and say whatever they want, especially with social media now. There's, there's really like no consequence. You can sort of say whatever you want. But do those voices come up in your head and tell you, you know something? You probably shouldn't say anything. It's okay that your ego might be bruised a little bit. It's okay that somebody may have told you to fuck off and you can't respond. But, you know, is it worth it? Was it worth it? To, to me, it was worth telling this person, the woman, that you got you to gotta be careful or else you're going to hit me. You're going to hit another bike rider. But then there's that other situation where this, this, this man who looks insane is, is walking towards us. He's yelling at us, swearing at us. Is it worth responding? And, and I, I wonder, the constant usage of cell phones, is it sort of, you know that voice in your head that tells you when things feel right or feel wrong? I do get the impression that that voice is going away. It's like we are becoming more robotic, following the trends, following what everybody else is doing, not thinking for ourselves that those voices that tell people what's right and what's wrong are slowly dissipating and going away. This is slowly turning towards COVID. I won't get there quite yet. But... I did go to a sporting event yesterday. My niece is in a, a basketball league, and this was down in Orange County. And it was, it was interesting. This was, again, one of those first experiences post-COVID where I'm going into a big arena with lots of people. And am I sort of crazy for going, number one? Should I wear a mask? vaccinations do people have them you know again it's it's th this constant examination of a particular illness nonstop is going to affect our culture for possibly the better and for the worse so i, I want to ask you you know barely anybody was wearing a mask the problem though that we live in this sort of goes down this this area that i want to touch on a bit um that I'll try and explore, but we'll see, because this is all sort of extemporaneous. Labels. You know, this, this event was in Orange County. Orange County has a label as being sort of a little bit conservative. And then the media has done an exemplary job of labeling anybody that doesn't wear a mask or questions what's going on as being a conservative. So... One will instantly say, well, oh, all those people down in Orange County are just ignorant, selfish. Barely anybody was wearing a mask in, in this gym. It, it was actually bigger than a gym because there were like 10 basketball courts. So I feel the anxiety as I'm about to walk into this gym. 
And I ask myself, uh, should I wear a mask? Am I an idiot for going in there? Um, but then I, I, I decided not to wear a mask. And I, I guess I, I felt I need to start putting myself in those situations where my immune system might actually be challenged a little bit. Like I, I have, we have to remind ourselves that it's okay to catch a cold, that it's okay to be around other people that may potentially be sick. And then you think, God, is everybody vaccinated? Is, is everybody not wearing a mask? And then, you know, we have Fauci saying that there's two worlds right now. There's the vaccinated world. There's the unvaccinated world. We have Biden who's saying anybody who doesn't get a vaccine is a killer. You know, that, that type of dialogue and narrative, as much as you can say that Trump's narrative and dialogue on Twitter is dangerous, which I agree with, when you have a president uh, who's saying that anybody who doesn't get a vaccination is a killer, when you have Fauci who's saying you have two worlds, the vaccinated world and the unvaccinated world, all of that dialogue is so divisive. And it's trying to label people and lump people into one group. And you got to just let people live their lives. And you got to let people wake up and make their own decisions and take risks. Again, I, I say this quite often ad nauseum, but there is an innate risk the moment you wake up. I may have risked my life yesterday riding my bike 30 miles to Santa Monica and back. The drive down to Orange County felt exceedingly dangerous because people are, I could see they're swerving left and right, texting, looking at their phones, driving is more dangerous now than ever before. We all have to decide what's right for ourselves because we are all individuals. And the media and politics want to lump people up, continue to label people as this or that. And it's really quite insulting. And I think when I'm looking at these kids and all these people in, in this gymnasium yesterday, we need to just enjoy ourselves. We need to go about our day-to-day -day life and make decisions for ourselves. And, and this sort of leads me to my next phase of, of this podcast. So I want to explain to you what I've experienced in regards to what I've consumed over the last three to four days. This relates, unfortunately, to COVID a bit. But so on Twitter, uh, from the CDC, it was just announced that they are going to revoke the emergency use authorization of the RT-PCR tests that they began to use in February of 2020 to determine if somebody has COVID. They are encouraging laboratories to consider adopting a multiplex method that can facilitate detection and differentiate between COVID and influenza. So that's something that I read on Twitter from the CDC. And again, this is sort of one of the criticisms that I've had of, of the way that we've responded and a lot of people don't know this, but we have been using a testing system, PCR testing, that is, as many people have said all year, potentially flawed. Now the CDC is confirming it. And while it's been flawed for numerous reasons, another reason is it couldn't differentiate between the flu and COVID. Our whole life 
and livelihood has been uprooted because of this PCR test that we have been counting on. And so you mean to tell me a year and four months later, after the after politicians and epidemiologists and the CDC have completely uprooted our lives, now they're saying 18 months later that, oh, that test wasn't effective. We need to come up with something else. And they weren't even able to differentiate between the flu or COVID. And again, I think it is a bit perplexing that the flu just sort of vanished and disappeared over the last year. And now we find out it's probably because the PCR test wasn't able to differentiate between the two. So more than likely, all those people that were testing were just marking them down as COVID. But it doesn't even matter at this point because we're 16 months into this thing and people have already been manipulated, brainwashed, uh, scared out of their minds because of what they've been consuming over the last 16 months. So that's one piece of information that I read. And so then I listened to a podcast about three days ago where Joe Rogan is speaking to, let me find this, Brett Weinstein and Dr. Pierre Corey. And they're basically talking about these other treatment options besides the vaccine. They're questioning our response. Seems like they're highly qualified experts in epidemiology, uh, biology, and it seems like a very informative discussion. And again, I, I think science and politics should not be in the public eye. Science should be in the lab, you know, and, and science is about this asking questions, investigating. Maybe we're right. Maybe we're wrong. The problem is when you bring all of that into a public forum like social media, Twitter, podcasts, people's ego gets in, gets in the way. People want to assume that they're right. Or people want people beyond anything want to feel like they're in control or feel that they're right. And, and throughout the last 15, 16 months, I still don't know what to believe. I, I, I cannot, for the life of me, have any idea where COVID came from, how it evolved, who's responsible, and then what's the best um, action to take. Joe has Brett and Dr. Pierre Corey on, and I want to play a couple quick clips here because I, I think they're, they're pretty uh, interesting, and, and we'll sort of, I'll talk about it a bit. The other thing I would just point out is the way you know what to believe, and nobody knows what to believe, right? You, what you do is you build a model that gets more and more predictive over time. But the thing that you can tell is good about the heretics is that we agree on a lot, but we don't agree on everything, right? Mm -hmm. There are places where you and I disagree, Dr. Corey. Sure. There are places where I disagree with uh, Dr. Malone, the inventor of the mRNA vaccine technology. The important point, though, is that those disagreements are about discovering what's true, right? You, you want, as a member of the group of people trying to figure this out in real time, you want to find all the places that you're wrong, right? Your model gets better as you accept those things. And so that's sort of the hallmark of how consensus is properly built, is the openness to pushback, right? Mm -hmm. We push back on each other. We don't pretend to all agree to the same stuff. Okay, to the, to the question you asked me, though. Well, I just, I think that's important to listen to because I do believe that we should be asking questions, investigating. And instead, if anybody asks a question, the response is typically, oh, you're this, you're that, you're a Trump lover, a white supremacist, you're an anti-vaxxer. 
Um, there's, there's a problem when a virus is thrust into the public uh, sphere. And, you know, again, I'll try and re- I, I can reflect back upon last January when I was in Mexico and, you know, I started reading these stories about this potential virus in, in China, which obviously now we know is a real virus. And it's, it's slowly making its way to America. It, it was so scary because it was so new and unlike anything we'd ever experienced before. Although the irony is we have experienced it before, but you know, 10 years ago, whether it was swine flu or, the, or this other virus that I'm suddenly forgetting the name of, but it feels like this is the first time we have thrust a virus into social media and the media and the public sphere to such an extreme level, unlike anything we've ever witnessed before. And then when you couple that with people's, mostly men's, innate need to be right, first, stronger, louder, um, you, you end up creating chaos. And you end up creating a world where nobody knows what's what's true anymore. And instead of like all these questions are being thrust onto podcasts, you know, you have different doctors who say this, say that, and it's almost like they should all be in a lab, figure this shit out, and then get back to us when they have it all figured out and tell us what to do. But when you have one guy on Joe, Joe Rogan saying this, another doctor on Sam Harris's show saying that. No wonder I don't know what's right or wrong. And, and I'm, I've always been anti-politics because I don't like how it's just two sides. I think it's very possible to hate Donald Trump, to be pro-choice, to be against the death penalty, to be uh, for inexpensive or affordable health care, to be pro-same-sex marriage, and also, and, and think QAnon is insane, and think these 911 conspiracies are insane, but also believe that something doesn't smell right when it comes to COVID. You know, it's, it's like, it's possible that you can be a little left, a little right, a little this, a little that. But everything that's going on from the media, social media, and what we're consuming is turning it's, it's making you think that everybody is one simple equation. So I, I want to play another clip, and then I'm going to talk about Sam Harris and, and the guest he had. When you look at the independent objective experts, so I think you need, because here's the other thing. I feel so bad in what we're talking about because the average person, who the heck knows what they should believe? Right. right. They're hearing newspapers and television and right and left and everyone's saying different things. And you know what? Some of the political spectrum, they're getting some things right, other things wrong. Like, how do you believe anymore? And so, and, and this idea of capture is, is, is a real one. And so, like, I'm very suspicious. I'm very skeptical of everything I'm being told. I'd, I'd like, you know, for some, like, ground rules for the layperson to follow. Like, how do you know who's talking truth? And I think... <laughs> how do you know who's talking truth? So this podcast is getting a lot of play on Joe Rogan. It's questioning the vaccine, questioning the story, the narrative that's being, you know, um, 
propelled towards towards our towards our culture. And I'm also a big Sam, Sam Harris friend. So lo and behold, one of my friends sends me a podcast where Sam, hang on, where it's episode 256. He's speaking to Eric Topol about vaccine hesitancy and related misinformation. They're talking about the Delta variant, uh, VAERS, the, the vaccine adverse event reporting system. And they're talking about how that Joe Rogan podcast is full of misinformation. Despite the fact that they're experts on Joe Rogan's show, then Sam Harris's show, he has another expert, Eric Topol, who's saying, oh, the, those experts are wrong. I'm right. And, and, and then they start, so VAERS is the independent vaccine um, committee or, or um, organization that tracks um, vaccine reactions. And apparently they, they have the 12,000 people have died after getting the vaccine. Now, they, they even say this statistic on Sam Harris's show, and they basically poo-poo it and say, eh, it's more than likely it's 12. You know, here's the thing. We don't really know who is controlling Sam Harris's quote-unquote brand or story. You know, I'm thinking to myself, wouldn't it make sense to have all three of these physicians all on the same podcast or all in the same lab trying to figure out what's right, what's accurate, and then go on CNN or Fox and tell us what to do? But that's, that's an impossibility. Sam Harris is aligning himself up, is aligning himself with, with specific physicians that are pro-vaccine, anti-hydroxychloroquine, uh, the ivermectins that, you know, other people are talking about potentially that could be effective in treating COVID. Joe Rogan is clearly aligning himself potentially with a certain narrative. Maybe Joe is more conservative. Sam is more liberal. Um, they're all playing into this same story that's problematic. And that is they're worried about their own, they're worried about themselves being right, being in control, and less so about giving us correct information. The idea that Sam is having this very intelligent, interesting conversation with this doctor, but then he speaks of people that are vaccine hesitant, you, you can feel it's sort of um, belittling them. Like, oh, a lot of them are, are yogis, uh, a lot of them are anti-vaxxers. They're giving these statistics about, you know, most Democrats are pro-vaccine. Most, you know, most Republicans are anti. When they start bringing up Republicans, conservative, oh, yogis are this, <laughs> Democrats are this, it's, it's just assuming. And it's labeling. And it's grouping people into neat little tidy groups to try and figure out what's really going on. But we don't really know yet. And we might not ever know what's really going on. So I'm an adult. I, I, I like to think that I'm relatively emotionally stable. Uh, so I just released this music video for my new song, Animals. Uh, I just remixed Animals. I'm going to uh, end the show today and play the song for you. 
because I'm incredibly proud of, of what I've created. I, I have to say, I've, I've started shooting music videos, and I'm editing music videos now, and I, I often get conflicted because it's really hard for me to share what I've created in this ADHD um, self-absorbed world. I ask myself, what does it take to get people to care? And, and maybe I do a... Hey, Nellie. Nellie's here. Nellie just walked in, my cat. Maybe I do a really bad job of marketing. Maybe I'm not good at that. It feels like when I post things on Instagram or, or social media or Facebook, very few people comment or seem to care. Um, and that can be a, a tough pill to swallow sometimes. Uh, but again, I don't think I'm very good at doing that whole kind of thing. Like, I, I don't like to spend time posting. I, I sort of post something really quickly and get off of it because I don't like my brain to be affected by the trivialities of social media. But even I'm susceptible to going down those rapid holes. So I, I post this, uh, a magazine based in Europe premiered my music video, Vents Magazine. And they write this amazing write-up. I post it on Facebook. I'm so stoked for people to see this music video because I think it's provocative. I think it's evocative and, and interesting and, and really, I hope, gets people to think. And so I post this on Facebook. And as of yesterday, and I have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of followers or, or connections on Facebook, it ends up getting one like, one, as of today, and this is like four days after I posted it, it has two. How can that not be so demoralizing? I spend a year making this album. I spent 60, 70 hours making this one song Leslie and I spent 25, 30 hours making this music video. I think we came up with, some, with something really beautiful, provocative, interesting. And then it's like, what does it take to get somebody to care? Uh, and I don't know. I, I, I know there's musicians out there that have fans, and I know I have some fans, but it's like, what does it take to get people to care, to be empathetic? And I don't know. I wonder if we live in in the most. I wonder if we live in the most unempathetic world ever. I think to myself. I'm again. I'm a pretty mentally stable guy, and that was really a kind of a bummer. I'm so pumped up. To me, songs. Are like children, you know. The, you, you spend so much time shaping them and creating them and trying to make them perfect so people connect. It's like I was listening to this podcast. Mark Maron had um, the lead singer of LCD Sound System on. You know, making music is a—it's a language. You're trying to communicate with people. You're hoping people connect with this obscure language that I'm trying to speak. And, and I am trying to create something that makes people 
think deeply and question this strange, fucked up, weird, weird world that we live in. And I spent all this time, and of course, it's it's this incredibly nourishing process for me. But as the I'm suddenly forgetting the guy's James Murphy, as James Murphy is saying, we're creating also to to speak a language, to get people to think and to to speak and communicate and and be inspired and riveted. And to be met with one and then two likes, it's like, what the fuck? It's, it's like, what does it take to get anybody to... And then here's my other point. I'm sort of interrupting myself. Sharing. What does it take to get anybody to share? To, to, um, I, I know I used to make mixtapes and CDs and share them with friends. And uh, it's, I, I used to love that process. So if you see something from an artist that you think is, is really well done... Share it. Share it with somebody. And don't just like send like a, a link with, with no words. Say like, hey, I think this is really fucking good. You should listen to this. You should watch this. I, I don't know. I think we've become this like th- this robotic, emotionless zombie where we don't we don't think. I sent my album to to somebody like a a week ago because I really was intrigued by what they would think about the album. And they said, sounds great via text. And it's sort of like, that was kind of of like, wow, I, I just spent all this time on something. I'm really interested in what somebody thinks. And I get two words back. It's just, I don't know, it's, it's sort of like, and I'm not sending it off to just get somebody to kiss my ass. Like, I really want to know, like, emotionally, what moves you? You know, what moves you emotionally? Like, do you spend an hour, a week, a day digesting art anymore? Are you invested in that creative experience? Do you look at artists and 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 get moved by what they're doing? It just it's weird. It feels like we're in this emotionless pit of of just like sludge. And I, I just I wonder, it's like, what does it take to get anybody out of that sludge? So I don't know, just a lot of a lot of thoughts that I've been thinking over the last like five days. So strange world, but I did want to end the show today with my new remix for Animals. I am so proud of this song, so proud of this new version that we came up with, proud of the music video. You can find it on YouTube. Any questions, you know where to find me. Hope you enjoy Animals, the remix version. As always, thank you so much for listening, supporting, being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. I can feel them